Patrons, you're listening to a very special episode of the Red Light Library. That's because we don't review Jack in this episode. We're here to listen to, talk to, and enjoy Cooper S. Beckett, author of Approaching Swingularity and Podcast Extraordinaire. Podcaster Extraordinaire. He is not himself a podcast. Thank you for calling me on that one, babe. So, here's how this is going to work. We're going to talk about the book in general terms, and then we're going to do kind of a spoiler cast thing for a bit. And in the podcast description, I'll give you a time code if you want to pick up after we've talked about spoiler stuff. Uh, And if you want to get a copy of Approaching the Swingularity for yourself, just head over to Red Light Library on Twitter, at Red Light Library, and follow us. We have a pinned tweet. You can retweet before uh, midnight on the 16th of October. And that, so like 11.59 p.m. October 16th is when this is over. And uh, then we'll choose whoever gets the book and we'll give away some free stickers to other people who uh, submit as well. So you can do that. And if you want to support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash red light library. That's our uh, main source of income. We are about, uh, I think we're less than $15 away from being self-sustaining again. And, uh, with a move and end of semester coming up that would be pretty dope for me guys so yeah here's without further ado cooper packet thanks so much for listening i think we'll start off with a few not spoilery things to talk about and then kind of transition into that yeah sounds great to me ready to go babe yeah, I muted myself. So it's I've really been enjoying doing the spoiler casts for this book because I didn't do that for the last one. Oh yeah, and it's like, but I can't. We can't talk about the, like the meat of it. You can really talk about the first act. Yeah. Otherwise, you know. Hey guys, it's Gavin editing in the future. I just want to give a quick context to what we're about to say. We're about to talk about a review titled "This is a terrible novel, comma and the sex was horrible" by user Amazon customer July twenty fifth, twenty seventeen. This was posted on A Life Less Monogamous, a book written by Cooper S. Beckett. The review is as follows. I am the outlier. This is a terrible novel, and the sex was horrible. The first night with the first couple was just so, so, so vanilla and no imagination, and mention of condoms ruined it for me, and the next sequel suddenly turns into first tense sentences, which was a terrible distraction. We'll never read his work. Trash. Avoid it. Okay, Donald Trump. Trash. I do have one question, and this is totally fine to be off the record. I'm just curious. Sure. That one review on Amazon of the first book that's one star. Uh, the the uh, the I just didn't get it or they didn't use condoms one? That guy. Yeah. That, yeah. that is the most frustrating thing I've ever fucking what seen. What the fuck was that review? I mean, good lord. Ew, they use condoms. Like, what the fuck? Idiot. Yeah, I mean, look, I I get it. You don't want to have. I I mean, I get that. I don't always like condoms in porn, so I understand yeah. that. But it's it's really hard to criticize. First of all, uh, swinger sex as vanilla. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but but even so, if you look at the characters at that point, those characters are new and panicky. Of course, they're having standard PIV sex on their first time there. Of course. Yeah. No, I was very frustrated by that review. But it is literally the only bad review of that first book. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't complain too much. We uh, we had a, uh, an aborted attempt at reviewing uh, uh, Protein Swingularity the other day. 
that was oh. <laughs> it was a it, it had technical issues but we started off by looking at the reviews and since there weren't it, i looked for a bad one and i looked at the first book and saw there was a bad one that related to swingular and it was like oh motherfuck we got 10 minutes of discussion about this <laughs> oh it's not i mean we review stuff that has like obviously bad reviews because it's garbage sure. but there's a few times where you find something it's just but you're wrong <laughs> well and you know i like i'm I'm trying to get to that point where it doesn't affect me and yeah. I don't want to go in and, but, but like, I was so tempted with this one to say, Hey, you want more exciting sex? It just so happens. <laughs> Literally there is a, you can just, it's like a menu with approaching this. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but my, my publicist said, leave it alone. If you go in that direction, it, bad things happen. It's so, it's so trying being an adult, isn't it? okay well to start off um this is kind of in the same vein as that one and i don't want to focus i don't want to act like i'm focusing entirely on negative stuff but this guy no 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 this dude popped out and uh, the purple guy the guy in the purple suit that approaches uh oh yes wow like i want to know is this dude like he's based off of two people i've two people oh my god i was gonna say is he like an archetype in the swinger community or is this like a guy yeah no, I mean, when I when I started writing it, I knew immediately that there was going to be that guy. Mm-hmm. And basically, I've been calling him um, uh, either white male privilege personified <laughs> or toxic masculinity personified. Oh, my really? love it. He's both. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I mean, we uh, two years ago, my partner and I went to a New Year's Eve play party mm-hmm. and Basically, that guy was there. Oh, and but but the worst kind of that guy is the guy who passes. Yeah, you know, like when you're talking to him, it's like maybe he's dropping a few little things that give you pause. But the worst kind is the guy that passes enough to be in a sexy situation. Oh yeah, and then you see who he is, and it comes out like he was really, really pressuring my partner to not use condoms. Oh, oh my shit. god. Yeah, and, and like out of nowhere, like after the discussion that this is how we play and we play really, you know, after all of that and agreeing to it, like halfway through, like, uh, you know, I'd really rather we, like, I mean, I, I couldn't even believe it. Yeah. It's a little sad to hear that that guy is prevalent, not like across the oh, yeah. universe. Like yeah. he's in every kink, he's in every part of life, really. Yeah, you will find that guy. Yeah. Um, Speaking to that, since he is kind of that guy is a, re- a recurring thing, what are some, like, one thing, I guess, to kind of not really confess, but say we, uh, Sam and I went into this not really knowing much about the swinger community or, like, just mm-hmm. anything around that, because, like, I know growing up in the Midwest, my exposure to the swinger community was Bob and Midge on that 70s show. Like, that's not... Sure, yeah. That's not the most informative thing on the planet. <laughs> and the key parties. And the, and the key parties. Well, you don't get all your information from, uh, you know, 90s sitcoms? I, I do. Might as well. That's what I... I mean, I, there's a lot there. I mean, obviously Ross and Rachel were a healthy relationship. <laughs> But uh, are, are, uh, how much of approaching the singularity is pulling from that? Like, are there are there any other archetypes like him present? Or is it kind of well, spread? Yeah, um, I mean, like, almost everything that happens in this book, I've seen happen, I've done, 
I've interacted with people who've done like I I didn't invent anything whole cloth. Uh-huh. And, and and that's important to me because I think the swing community is one of those communities that's so misunderstood that when I'm presenting it, I want to present it with a level of accuracy. Yeah. Uh, but also, it is even even with the toxic masculinity guy, it is sort of an idealized version uh, because it allows for crossover with poly. It allows for um, bi males. It allows for trans people. It allows for a lot of things that unfortunately the swing community is still working toward mm -hmm. and i think it's really because you know i've i've noticed in the swinger community that unlike a lot of the progressive sexuality uh communities it's sort of almost a verbatim cross-section of the country yeah so you're going to get the percentage of uh to be as uh, uh, least political I can, you're going to get the same percentage of assholes in the swing community as you are in the generalized um, American community. Got gotcha. you. So if if you extrapolate that, you're going to see uh, people who really are hateful toward um, things they don't understand. And I think bisexual males is a big one. Definitely. That they don't yeah, understand. definitely. And certainly um, developing relationships that are more than just uh, surfacey. Mm -hmm. A lot of the older, uh, longer-term swingers, and I don't, I don't mean old as in aged. I mean people who've been doing this a long time. Uh, they, you know, you get set in your ways in any community. And um, what's interesting is like the the swing community can be defined by people over a certain age and people under a certain age and i'd say that over a certain age is in the 40s and under a certain age is you know before 30 yeah and the reason for that weirdness that gap sort of and and i'm i'm in that gap but there is a significant gap and what that is is that's the age of um all of high school health classes being focused on sex will kill you because AIDS. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there's a generation that grew up terrified of sex. And the people before really didn't. Like the, the 60s and 70s were a wild time. And the people below have grown up where AIDS is no longer a death sentence. Yeah. Where HIV has medication. And so it's still scary, obviously, you know, STIs are scary, but they're not as terrifying as they once were. And part of that is also growth as a culture. And we're seeing, um, you know, communities that were entirely stigmatized coming out of the, <laughs> the closet, for lack of a better uh, way to put that. Yeah. And it's, it's really a, a fascinating thing from, from a pure cultural anthropology standpoint which is how I often look at things because, you know, I'm a weirdo. Mm -hmm. That does, that does speak to a couple of things I've got. I've, I, I'm looking at my notes, both for the review and the questions for this. And uh, you did touch on something that popped out. I know it popped out to me and I think it also popped out to you, Sam, mm -hmm. is uh, the sort of, I don't even want to, I don't like 
saying normalization for this. Uh, you you make it okay and somewhat normal to have a conversation about. I had HPV, you know, at this point, yeah. and it has not resurged since then. Or um, the, uh, the approaching male bisexuality in such, I don't want to say uh, casual manner, because it's a very serious part of the book, but mm. it's not like, ooh, <laughs> you, don't ha- right. yeah. you don't hang a hat on it. Uh, I'm, I'm not looking for purient uh, delight. Yeah. I'm yeah, looking exactly. for you to enjoy the sexuality because sexuality is enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um to speak to the the first point, I, you know, when, when we started Life on the Swing Set, we sort of started to see very quickly that we were different than a lot of the swingers we met. Mm-hmm. And we started calling that progressive swinging, which was swinging that allowed for uh, more intense relationships, if not romantic, but just like close friends that you see and fuck regularly that allowed for uh, open communication on uh, STIs and testing and frequency of testing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that emphasized the community's safety over the individual. Because, you know, it's like herd immunity. You know, if we all do better at protecting ourselves sexually, we will be a healthier community. And by and large, the swing community does protect itself pretty well simply by virtue of having conversations in the first place. You know, whereas monogamous people who are out uh, at a bar getting laid don't often have the conversation ahead of time. But even then, the swing community can do so much better in that a lot of people just simply don't talk about things unless there is a current and present danger. You know, like, almost everybody has herpes. We call it cold sores. Yeah. But almost everybody has it. And unless they are currently having an outbreak, they won't even mention it. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, there's a debatable argument about whether or not that's cool. Yeah. Right? But um, the same thing with genital herpes. Often won't mention it unless there's a current outbreak. Mm -hmm. And because of that type of uh, out of sight, out of mind... There is a need for far more open and honest discussions. And that's why I led with this is a little bit more of a a utopic yeah. view of what I would love the swing community to be. I mean, I know a lot of people who put a, a strong focus on that and will have conversations exactly like the one uh, between the four women in toward the beginning of the book, where it's just like we're laying this all out right now. And because once you once you lay out those things, you know, almost everybody has had HPV. Mm -hmm. And so it's not as big a deal as it would be if nobody ever talked about it. But the more people talk about these things, the more we realize that um, herpes is is kind of an annoyance once or twice a year. Right. It's not the horrifying thing that tv seems to think it is it's not the it's not the sort of death sentence that like comedies in the 90s would have you no it's like getting a sore throat it's just yeah right it's more commonplace so i'm 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 sorry i can barely hear you oh yeah let me push this a little bit closer there babe jesus fucking christ there we go there it is I was waiting for that. 
So you, were, I'm sorry, you were saying. I, uh, I no, I was just you. saying it's more commonplace than people would like to believe yeah. that it is. Yes, or admit. Or admit, yeah. But I think the key to all of it is uh, communication. Really, the key to most everything is developing far more open and honest communication. And so what I wanted to do with the book is model that. You know, and I do see people behaving this way, and I personally behave that way. Uh, not everybody does, and that's why not everybody in the book does. Some yeah. people are taken aback by it. Some people are surprised by it. The same thing with safer sex practices. I wanted to make sure I didn't just represent the way I play, which is barriers around everything because I'm a hypochondriac, mm -hmm. but instead represent how these characters play. So some are safer than others. By by and large, the lesbian community plays safer. Uh, the educator at the center plays the safest of everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's that's that was very important to, uh, to me to look at it like that. It, it definitely escalates. Um, I felt like I was experiencing part of this community that I knew existed, but uh, being from an area where I have two or three bisexual. Uh, female acquaintances that struggle really hard with, you know, with what some would say in different areas of the country is not that difficult of a of an identification to have as being bisexual right. and a woman. But seeing, you know, normalizing a bisexual guy, that's like, it makes you feel that's like there's tough. good in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if I can make you feel like there's good in the world, that, that really, I mean, that, that means a lot. Because uh, right now it's so hard to see. Right. Yeah, uh, I did. Um, I have. This is another type of. Um, I guess there's a stereotype in it, but um, I had a question about um, bystanders in this um, community. Is it commonplace or is it more of a rarity? Bystanders, you mean watching? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very common. Um, really, it's you know if if you go out. In, at a resort like this, if you go out in public and have sex, you are inviting bystanders. Mm. You're not inviting players. And that's a very important distinction to make. You know, nobody is ever welcome to just walk up and put their dick in your hand. <laughs> Un unless, like, uh, in, like one of the characters does in the book, you make it clear beforehand, this is the way you can play with me. Um, but... It, there's always uh, in swing parties is there's there's a door code. If the door is closed, obviously, this is a private thing, you know. If the door is open a crack, you are welcome to knock and see if you can come in. If the door is open, you are welcome to stand in the doorway and watch until you are invited in. Mm -hmm. So it, it there's you know a lot of this is about. Uh, performative sex mm -hmm. and uh, being both an exhibitionist and uh, a voyeur because voyeurism is participation and it's participation in a way that is incredibly safe you know and a lot of people who are new especially will just come and spend time watching because it's it's safe you know yeah you just you gotta I don't know. I kind of like warm up to it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> practice. Or not really practice. Practice. But... practice yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a much sexier version of repeating your fast food order five times in your head. 
I still have to do so that. So you're ready so to go when you get up to you the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did I want? I don't know anymore. Bye. <laughs> oh, actually, this is actually a good time. You've got a... What, which one? The... Oh, okay. Um, this might be a little bit of a dry question, but um, okay. I really like to know about the author's process when okay. writing. So, oh, do you have specifics, or would you like me to take you through it? I would like to be taken through it. Ooh. I'm a hands-on okay. learner. Well, this book, uh, so the, the first book in this series, A Lifeless Monogamous, was written uh, with the NaNoWriMo technique which Ooh. is the National Novel Writers Month. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea is to write your way through an entire month every day and by the end of the month have a novel. Yeah. And I actually managed that with the first book. I had a little help because I'd written uh, a very primitive version of the story out in screenplay form years ago. Um, so it was, it was about adapting, but of course, as you adapt, then you've made changes that then ripple out and you have to deal with those changes and then it gets harder and harder as you go. Gotcha. Uh, this book was done a little differently because as I was working on the first one, I had all these ideas of things I wanted to deal with and process like the male bisexuality thing, because I am a bisexual male and that is important to me. Yeah. But I felt like that was a topic that was big enough that it would overwhelm a small narrative. Because it wasn't about that yet. Mm -hmm. For him, it was about opening up. And that was the important part. And so I would keep making little notes and putting them off to the side. Uh, with this idea that maybe someday I would write a, a bigger story yeah. with it. And so when I finished the book, I did think immediately that I do want to write more of an anthology about multiple types of non-monogamy because that was my swinging book. And I wanted to write about poly and I wanted to write about BDSM and all, all the various um, subcultures. And as I was developing it, I recognized what I wanted it to be about more than anything was this place that is uh, so Aphrodite's Resort and Spa, mm -hmm. which is based on my favorite place in the entire world, Desire Resort in, in Cancun. Um, it, you know, I basically filed off the serial numbers on Desire <laughs> Resort and, and repackaged it. But it's, I wanted a, a place that had identity. My initial thought was it's going to be a play party where everybody intersects, but then that didn't feel big enough. And so a place with identity and a place that would force you to confront things because there's nothing quite like the level of intensity uh, at a swing resort because it's like a play party that doesn't end for a week. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's gaps just like you go up and you get some food, yeah. you know, <laughs> but it, it's so I wanted to deal with that. And then I wanted to deal with um, in the first book. It's from the point of view of Ryan and Jennifer, who are the young, brand new, wide-eyed swingers. And th they see their perfect swinger couple, the couple that indoctrinates them into the world. They're perfect. And as I was writing the first book, I knew they weren't perfect, but I didn't, you know, that's, that wasn't my point of view. So the first thing I decided when I wanted to come into this one was those two in the first book have had enough. <laughs> I'm going to torpedo 
the perfect swingers relationship. Ah. And that was really important to me because I feel like one of the most valuable things and hardest things in life is to see people you look up to tremendously fail. Because when they fail, that means that you, who feel like you fail all the time, aren't as different from them as you think. Yeah. You know? So that was that was number one. And I realized I wanted to write um, the character of Raymond, who runs the trip, as um, I, I got divorced a few years ago, and I dealt with a lot of um, feelings of how can I possibly continue to talk about this stuff? Yeah. Because clearly I failed. And so I wanted to make that his storyline is he feels like he's failed yet. He still has to perform for a week, you know? And I had another couple and Oh, Vince and Kendra who are, who are friends in the book were going to be my third couple. Yeah. And as I started developing the story, I, I realized I didn't just want another hetero couple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I also found them a little boring. Ultimately, I feel like their story was perfectly well served as supplementary in the, uh, in the story of the other people. Yeah. So I, I thought what better way to push myself out of my comfort zone than to not only, uh, talk about uh, a lesbian couple, but one of them is a person of color. So she has a. I, I remember the the day I wrote the scene where she talks about growing up uh, a Catholic um, daughter of a Mexican immigrant in Arizona, <laughs> and I thought I have never written further from my own experience <laughs> yeah. as I am right now, and. <laughs> So it was very important to me as I was developing that I have people to bounce this stuff off of. I immediately went to those that I know who are lesbians, who are people of color in the kink and, and uh, non-monogamy community, who are married lesbians. You know, uh, all these all these people know so much more than I do. And so I talked to them about how they encounter play parties because lesbians aren't very prevalent in the swing community mostly because they don't need to be and they're kind of over the whole scene yeah <laughs> which i don't blame them and uh, so as i uh, basically i started with these are the thing these are the people because for me character is always more important than uh plot mm -hmm. and I knew vaguely what I wanted the character arcs to be. Uh, I knew right off the bat that Ryan was going to be confronting his sexuality. That was very important to me. Um, I knew that Jen had a total meltdown because of her job. That was uh, that felt like relatable swinger problems. But also, I didn't want to give them another interrelationship catastrophe. Because they had a huge one in book one. And I didn't want to put them on that same path. I feel like they, they, they earned uh, only internal conflict. I just lost my train of thought. That's <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that actually opens me up for uh, a, sm yeah, a smaller yeah. question I've had sitting here. Uh, did you ever look up and go, oh, fuck, I'm writing seven people instead of four this time? <laughs> like, 
all the time, like <laughs> literally all the time. I mean, dear God, if I, if I had known, I may have still done it, but probably, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, I, I have this habit and this is true of like every project I, I undertake. I try not to think about it too much at the beginning because if I do, I'll realize how big it is. Yeah. And I may not do it. Yeah, I, ex- and, I uh, expected someone ran up and said, write this book. And they gave you an outline. <laughs> you'd be like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, no way. No way. <laughs> and <laughs> I've, I've always been a bit of an improvisational writer. You know, I really like outlines. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but at the same time, I also really like just wandering into a story. So I sort of did that. Um, I, I also couldn't figure out how I wanted to start the book. Yeah. And I felt like everybody just slowly arriving at a resort is not very impactful. So I remember hearing, like, people complain about everything, uh, you know, <laughs> in life. But one of the things people complained about was there wasn't enough sex in my first book. <laughs> And there's some sex, but that wasn't what the book was about. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I I put sex in it, but I didn't, you know, focus on it. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun if I just opened with three sex scenes in a row? <laughs> and when I realized I wanted to do that, I realized, well, I'm just going to cherry pick them from the middle of the week. Because I knew I was going to do a week story. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's just like bang bang, and then then I realized poor Bruce didn't get a sex scene, and <laughs> I thought, well, okay, I'm setting up conflict in amid the sex, because none of my characters can get out of their head while they're having sex. Yeah, which I find very relatable. I don't know about anyone. Oh else. no, oh, yeah, that is no, totally... definitely. <laughs> Good. Uh, so we, we just I jumped on that answer. Ryan's <laughs> I set up Ryan's major conflict and a major growth for their relationship in, in his first chapter. I set up that Jen has been dealing with trying to let go in her first chapter. I introduce this ex in Paige's first chapter. Mm-hmm. And then I make Bruce an asshole in his first chapter. <laughs> and part of that is really, really, really just about taking that character down a peg. Like I had Adore that character mm-hmm. but the expectations of who he was in book one by virtue of the book i was writing uh were he's like superman and so to immediately throw him down to earth i thought was very valuable developing this story though i lost control of it very quickly yeah um and there are still remnants of what having lost control of the story means in the book like there's a there's a massage that for for agent bruce that mm-hmm. happens about two-thirds of the way through the book and the only reason that chapter is there is because i accidentally ended their storyline about a day <laughs> early. and then panicked <laughs> And so, so I had to work my way back and, and develop more content for them. And then, you know, f- backfill all that in. Mm-hmm. But it turned out to be one of my favorite chapters in the book. 
and because I think it's so silly and it's it's okay <laughs> that it's silly because their dramatic story has come to a conclusion. They get to have fun. They get to have fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the way I ultimately wound up doing this is I had those you know those giant um sheets of paper like the in an office meeting that are post-its yeah so i i put three of those on my wall in my dining room and then i divided it up into the seven days and then i bought post-its for each character a different color Mm post-it and i wrote down their important things and then i would put them on days and so I, i mean i basically plotted it like um like an eight episode tv series nice where it's like, okay, well, this character needs a major event in this episode on this day. And uh, um, I also knew how involved I wanted each character to be in the overall plot. Like, Ryan and Jennifer both get two chapters per day. Yeah. Uh, in On every day. Bruce and Paige are a little bit more flexible. Um, you know, uh, Krista and Alejandra and Raymond, they each got one a day. Because I also developed their story within each other's stories. And I felt that was that was important to me for wrapping my head around. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, Jon Snow is going to be in every episode of Game <laughs> of Thrones. Yeah. But, but maybe not Varys, you know. So it, it was like that when I was developing. And that really um, helped because it kept me loose. Because I could just pull off uh, um, post-its whenever I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, And it allowed me to rearrange on the fly and discover, you know, like Krista's entire story arc, um, which is, is also about questioning sexuality Mm -hmm. uh, was an accident. She was going to have an entirely different story uh, until I realized what I was writing. (laughs) And that was that's really exciting as a writer to to find out that your your subconscious is sort of driving you in a different direction and then once you realize these things then it's like okay well that changes all of this stuff so now let's reconfigure and move the post-its around mm-hmm. but it was uh, it was huge and i'm gonna do small projects for a little while <laughs> but it was a blast Editing it was really tough. I bet. Yeah. You know, the, the initial writing, it was, was great. And then uh, editing came around last November. You know, and we all know what happened last November. Yeah. And that made it really difficult to deal with much of anything. Yeah. So um, I had to really, really push myself. Uh, in the editing process and get a lot of feedback. One of the things I do that a lot of writers don't like is after I finish every uh, chapter, I send it to a group of readers who read along as I'm working. Yeah. And it's because if I'm off course, especially if I'm improvising or dealing with characters that I don't deeply understand their subculture... I want course correction while I'm working. Of course. You know, and I'll I'll uh, take people's opinion or leave it. You know, like quite a few times it's like, yeah, I just don't agree with you. So <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it, but I don't agree. But uh, at the same time, several uh, comments came back that made me really rethink the direction I was taking a character. And, you know, 
rethinking might just mean a little bit of a curve instead of going straight. And that is really helpful, especially with with the lesbian characters, because I could say, okay, I really hope I captured something remotely similar to your experience. Yeah. Can you tell me if I did? And sometimes it was, yeah, you did a good job. And sometimes it's like, what have you have you met women? <laughs> <laughs> and and it's important to be humble as an author when that comes across your table, because otherwise you get uh, you get a book where everyone sounds like a middle class, mid thirties white male. Yeah, and very you know, very few people want that like that. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah, that was that's where that's my process. Alrighty, I think it's time to take off the uh, no spoiler uh, training wheels here <laughs> <laughs> because you kept you kept circling around it, and this is like my obsession of this book, Bruce and Ooh. Bruce and Paige's relationship, mm-hmm. and yeah. and the whole Emily situation was just like addictive. Yeah, to me. It, oh my god, it was like watching fucking Days of Our Lives or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that was. That was such a great um, discovery for me. And it was something that I'd been developing for a short story for Bruce and Page before I uh, even conceived of doing a second novel. Mm-hmm. And it was partially um, by one of the inspirations for the Bruce, uh, Bruce and Page characters. Uh, she would tell me about this, this girlfriend they used to have. And it wasn't uh, an Emily situation in uh, like it is in the story. Yeah. But it was just one of those people who were in your life a long time ago and were so important and then are gone and then just pop up. And how easily that can uh, derail you. And I've, I've had relationships with people where I feel truly, I really hate to throw the addiction term around, yeah. but I feel like I'm addicted to them. Like I know they're really bad for me, but I can't stop. Yeah. And I've had relationships where my partner was really, really not on board. And so I know what that's like, but it, it, when you combine those two things, it's... It's just a train wreck because, and, and I have a savior complex where I try to save everybody that I uh, am in any type of relationship with. And so I immediately gave that to Bruce. Really what I did is I fragmented my psyche and took all the things I really dislike about myself and made them character traits for all (laughs) seven of these characters. That works. Like dominant character traits. Like Ryan abandoning because he doesn't know what to say. Yeah. That's, I mean, I've never done that, but I would do that. I feel like, <laughs> and I hate myself for feeling like I would do that, you know? Um, Krista not being able to confront her feelings on something, and so just avoiding it to the point where she stays out because she needs that catharsis that the repress- the repression won't give her. Yeah. You know, um, Alejandra has this moment where she's talking to Paige about what she's afraid of with Polly. And it's not that Krista would find someone else. It's that she would. Yeah. And I, I felt that in my previous relationship. It's like, well, what if I discover something better? You know, then you have to deal with the guilt of it's you. You always want it to be someone else's fault. Yeah. But Bruce and Paige, yeah, they, they're... um 
their main conflict. You know, and I realize I didn't. Paige may be one of the least blameful people. Like, there's a lot of blame to go around in this story. Of course. But I don't know that Paige really does anything that is worth being mad at. Yeah. Short of not talking to Jen and then, you know, going out on the boat. But that wasn't a defined thing that she had to. It was a communication thing. Mm-hmm. So so I guess Paige is the big winner of the book. Is what I'm <laughs> it's... I. It never was as, you know, I, I've never been in the exact relationships with Bruce, Bruce or Paige, but uh, I have had toxic people in my life when I was younger that yeah. would keep showing up yeah. later. And, like, it never, it was never this intense, but I could kind of sort of see where Bruce was coming from every time he had the phone, and I was just like, fucking no, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I totally troll the the readers oh, by yeah. Yeah. having that one <laughs> chapter where Bruce goes up to and takes out his phone. But it's to play Sudoku. Yeah. yeah. It's to drain his phone. <laughs> That's it. That's the best part of having point of view chapters and then not coming back to that storyline for like four chapters. <laughs> like that one day where I did that with Krista and Alejandra's stories oh, yeah. where they bookend the day so there's... I th- there's like uh, five chapters in between them or, or seven chapters in between their two story parts. Uh, it gets rough at times, but it was enjoyable rough. Well, good. <laughs> uh, on the note of Bruce and Paige, I think the one yeah. thing from Paige I want, want to talk about is the scene where she's triggered during mm-hmm. the gangbang. Uh, yeah. The gangbang yeah. scene. Yeah. Um, I think I haven't seen I, I haven't seen a lot of scenes in which a character is triggered in a first person perspective, but the almost screenplay like interjection of the slut in oh, yeah. parentheticals like that just kept like I felt like I was watching it happen in a movie like I could see how this was happening in my both from a mental perspective and how this would be portrayed in like a, an actual visual medium. That was an incredibly powerful scene. Oh, thank you. That makes me really... I mean, like, I I'm, I was a filmmaker, so I'm an extremely visual... You can uh, tell. Yeah. ...guy. And I, I'm glad that it comes across, because you always worry about that. You know, it's the show-don't-tell bullshit. And I'm always worried I'm telling. But I, I will unabashedly say that I stole the slut interjections from Stephen King. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well... And, and not... <laughs> Not specifically the slut thing, but the weird parenthetical lowercase thing in the middle of a sentence mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, I, in, initially, I had way more of it in the book, and I realized that I can't have every character thinking that way. <laughs> and so I, I just narrowed it down to Paige. Paige is the only one whose mind sort of races and goes in interjections. And um, I felt like that was the best way to have a character who doesn't really speak, mm-hmm. uh, which is Emily. Emily hardly has any lines in the entire book uh, except for that parenthetical. And I wanted it to feel like that parenthetical is her. She's yeah. haunting Paige. Exactly. Yeah, she's always there. And and every time you, you want to feel like every time Paige gets anywhere near something enjoyable in, in her life, that comes out. Yeah. Because she blames herself... Uh, actually, maybe you could blame Paige a little bit for <laughs> Emily the the previous year, 
but she, but she blames herself so hard for that. Yeah. You know, and and that's that's one of the worst things we can do to ourselves is not let ourselves not forgive ourselves for something. And that that slut interjection uh I was proud of that. Yeah, I'm I'm not ashamed to say how proud I am of that sequence in the book. And uh, uh, this is more of a, this is, no one else is going to relate to this, but uh, <laughs> Sam knows because she had the same professor. But uh, in my college experience, uh, we both had a teacher who uh, would basically put students in a situation where they would have to call a character sexually promiscuous and someone would say slut. Uh, <laughs> and then there would be a fucking five minute rant oh about God. we don't use that word in my classroom. So it was it was great to see the word slot used negatively, but there wasn't like fucking a little song and dance about how this is a bad thing to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Well, and and what I what I really like about that is that Paige owns her sluttiness, mm-hmm. and she's like, no, I I am a slut. She doesn't get to say that. Exactly. Though. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I think that's that's the case. You know, like I will say, uh, I am a major slut. <laughs> but there's a difference between me calling myself that and my friends calling me that and uh, someone using it as a weapon. Yeah. And when Emily says it, it's a weapon. And every, every interjection, every parenthetical there is a stab. And uh, it, it's like the shower scene in Psycho. You know, you mm-hmm. bring it in, just boom, it's there. Boom, you know. And I'm I'm really really happy with the way it came out in the audiobook. I was I was very excited about how that plays out. Ooh, uh, you yeah. you were just I I've had an Audible uh, subscription since 2013. I am a slut well, for hey, audiobooks. It just came out <laughs> yeah, on Audible. You're this teasing week. me hard, man. Oh, we're very well, and, aware you know, that what, it just what came was, out. You know, speaking of wandering into projects that are way bigger than expected. <laughs> um. The first audiobook I did uh, for A Lifeless Monogamous, I shared narrator duties with Kat Stark. Yeah. Uh, and she did all the female point of view, and I did all the male point of view. So by and large, we were Ryan and Jen. Um, so for there, there's a page in Bruce chapters in the first book, but not, not very much. Yeah. And in this one, I had the wild idea... Why not seven narrators? <laughs> That's not rough at all. <laughs> no. No, and I mean and and why not edit it and produce it all myself? Why why <laughs> why not? One one of my and... kinks is audio editing, but even then, like <laughs> I I genuinely like enjoy editing stuff. Yeah. Like it's my thing. Well, that's but next next time I'll call you. <laughs> seeing seeing you post those screenshots of like how much shit you had to process, I was like, ooh. <laughs> oh god! I mean, it, and it it. Uh, no, I'm I'm so happy with it, and that's important after a project like that. Um, but it was incredibly overwhelming, mm-hmm. and it's uh, almost sixteen and a half hours long. Uh, and yeah, the, the cast I've got is blew me away. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with that. That doesn't answer your question. But still. <laughs> yeah. It, it really just turned into a plug and it was not intended to be so. Works for uh, me. That's fine. <laughs> so Sam, I, th- I see you got some scribble down I, here. I do. I, I circled it because I'm very. I'm um, not even going to try and make a segue because it'll no. be as offensive <laughs> as shit if I try to. Okay. <laughs> okay so, um. 
I was absolutely blown away by how you um, described uh, Ryan's initial scene with the foam and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I feel like in novels, we don't get enough of... um, Anxiety. Anxiety. Like, and how (laughs) that actually manifests itself in the body. So um, how was your process in dealing with uh, mental health? in such a way. Well, I'm I'm an incredibly anxiety-ridden person. Mm-hmm. I suffer from clinical depression. Um, it is as as you said, you don't see a lot of that. So it is very important for me to represent uh, that type of thing. And I do believe that almost everybody is some shade of depressed. Yeah. You know, it's it may not be extreme, but there is uh, a level of of more than sad at times. And um but especially anxiety. And the first time I was ever in a foam party, I had a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And it it was an important step for me the next time I was in a foam party to embrace it. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. I jumped in under the spout. And uh, I mean... It was a brave moment that I'm proud of. <laughs> it was a stupid moment because I... I like got suds poured down my throat because I was, I was, I was not thinking it through really. Uh, so, and you know, like the, the theme of the book is how no matter where you are, no matter how perfect a place you're at, no matter how perfect your life seems, there's always this intrusion and the intrusion can be a person like Emily. It can be an idea like uh, bisexuality. It can be your past like your job. Or it can just be you. And for Ryan, it's the, the anxiety is just him fucking with himself. Mm-hmm. It's his emotional... Uh, his brain is working faster than him. Mm-hmm. And his brain is saying, you're an idiot. You need to get out of the foam. And so that intrusion is... It's important. Yeah, people are perfect on TV. You know, they make stupid decisions, but it's wrapped up by the end of the episode, usually. Uh, And ongoing emotional uh, deficiency is usually the character trait, if it's at all portrayed. It's like, oh, this person is depressed, and that's who they are. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case, you know. Anybody could be depressed. Anybody could have generalized anxiety or acute anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it's not them. It's a facet of them. And uh, I noticed that a lot of the open community, and that will encompass uh, swinging, BDSM, polyamory, all all of the things. Mm -hmm. What what some would call the deviant sexual community. (laughs) I've noticed a, a ridiculous preponderance of mental illness. And I use the term mental illness very specifically because mental illness is nothing to be scared of or, or you know, legislate against or any of this. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the reason I think that is, and I spend a lot of time thinking about both this and the preponderance of physical ailments, you know, like chronic illness in all these communities. And what I what I suspect 
and I obviously I'm extrapolating from the cultural anthropology mm -hmm. standpoint here. What I suspect is people who are somewhat unhappy will look for better alternatives. People who have fully functioning bodies, fully stable mental capacity, um, they won't. Because why would they? Of course. And so, like, you can also see it in people whose parents got divorced early. Maybe they're not as uh, quick to subscribe to monogamy, you know. And all these little little glitches in the traditional script of heteronormative monogamous reality in our country. All the little glitches are that much more likely to spin you off in an alternative direction, whatever that alternative is. And so I think that it's, it's not, I mean, obviously I, I never thought that swinging caused mental illness. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think you're more apt to be willing to explore an alternative to the norm if you have experienced a history of uh, depression or anxiety or uh, emotional instability by all, all the things. And in no way, and because you will get complaints, and I apologize. <laughs> In no way am I implying that you can't be, quote, normal and be a swinger. Because, I mean, if I was saying this on my podcast, all the normal swingers would come out and complain to me. I'm saying <laughs> that maybe, possibly, there's a slight uptick in, in these things in the open community fortunately for you you're uh you're currently on a podcast that reviewed a goddamn 12 page story about a fucking mummy last night and <laughs> yeah. we, a fucking mummy he kills seven people too it's really intense <laughs> oh, but okay. and, and i just uploaded a podcast about a story that was written in second person oh, and god. was the oh god yeah it was, and it was the grossest thing Oh, no. It, it was oh, like no. the schoolgirl punishment fetish. It was disgusting. Ugh. And were you the schoolgirl or were you the, uh, the, 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 the punisher? The narrator speaking to you is the old English headmaster <laughs> who I use like seven different accents for because I didn't really give oh, a shit. Oh, my God. But yeah, we don't give a fuck if someone wants to complain because we've <laughs> wow. seen the worst of it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> wow, wow. Uh <laughs> I think uh, uh, to sort of work on wrapping this up, I do have one yeah. final kind of meaty question for you. Um, if someone is interested in kind of, besides listening to life on the swing set, uh, <laughs> if they're interested in learning more about the swinger community, if like approaching the swingularity is their first like ex like notion of this, what would be <laughs> cool, some? So what would their swinger resources be? <laughs> Well, read a life less monogamous. It's far less scary than a <laughs> That's number one. It's not just flogging my book. It's just, it's literally an emotional step down. Um, there are, there are, we're, we're at a wonderful point in time for these communities because there are so many resources. I would advise not just Googling swinger. Yeah. Yeah. Because some of the, <laughs> And I would tell you to stay out of the Reddit swinger board. Ooh. I've I've officially unsubscribed to it. Oh God! Yeah, Reddit's um, uh, Reddit's a risky place. It's a it's a tough place. It's a lot of angry people. <laughs> um, and I've been one of those angry people on Reddit, so I get it. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of angry people. 
Um, there, there are some wonderful books. The Ethical Slut is a great one. It's a little more about Polly than swinging and can be a little scary if you're not uh, fully on board with the concept of multiple romances. Mm-hmm. Um, Tristan Terramino's Opening Up is my non-monogamy Bible. It was the first thing I read uh, when I opened up and I thought it was a wonderful exploration of non-monogamy it did get scary when it got into poly because i was not ready emotionally yeah. to hear about that um there there aren't a you know there's podcasts are really it yeah mm-hmm. there there are tons of swinger podcasts the key to remember is any idiot can start a podcast true and speaking as one of those idiots it's very important that you listen enough to understand whether or not you agree with these people holistically before you take their word as gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, really, you shouldn't take any podcast word as gospel. No, no, no. <laughs> but specifically, uh, there are a whole lot of, hey, we're a couple who just discovered swinging. Let's do a podcast where we can talk about our exploits. <laughs> and often they fizzle out within 10 to 15 episodes because there is a finite amount of that you can do. Right. You know, then there are a lot of podcasts like mine, which were, Hey, we discovered this new awesome thing. Let's tell everybody about it. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason I tell people not to listen to the first year of my podcast (laughs) because we didn't really get it until later, you know, and I mean, I, we, we've just crossed episode 300, so we've been doing this for a long time. Congratulations. And if I, thank you. <laughs> if I had my, my druthers, that first year would go away. <laughs> but there, there's a fundamental disagreement between me and several podcast people about whether or not we should, uh, we should whitewash that out. And um, I, I, I've, been, I've been persuaded to leave it alone. But at the same time, I was an idiot and I said stupid shit. And one of the reasons I, um, my first book is My Life on the Swing Set, which is a collection of essays uh, that I wrote for the Life on the Swing Set website. Mm-hmm. And what I really like about it and really cringe about it is that I didn't edit the content of the essays. I only edited for uh, clarity and for um you know, copy editing. So it's like a time capsule almost. It is. Like you see a journey from beginning to end. You see early stupid opinions and you see growth. And I, I feel like that's the reason podcast listening is valuable. And if you like the podcast where it's a couple telling you about their exploits, it can be tremendously valuable to listen to them grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, take everything with a grain of a uh, grain of salt. But the long form of podcast is great, uh, great way. D- dip in and dip out. Listen to an episode. If it's not for you, listen to a different show, because there there are so many, so many. And the biggest thing, the biggest lesson I can give anybody uh, who are, is interested in exploring is to not confine yourself to anything in particular. You know, don't. Don't say I'm only going to have sex with people in this age bracket or uh, no, and I did. Yeah, I said 10 years on either side of my age. And that's that was my comfort zone and comfort zones are fine. Mm-hmm. But 
had I stuck with that, I would not have had some of the most fulfilling sex I've ever had, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and had I not been willing to explore my sexuality, I would not have discovered such an important facet of my, uh, of my sexuality and of my personality. And I think the whole world could use a little bit of a calm down and think about what you might be interested in. Nobody's going to force you to do it just because you're curious. But if you're curious, maybe you want to do it, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's, uh, that's really valuable uh, because the most important things I ever discovered about myself came after being willing to open up. And it's because opening up sort of removed a lot of the barriers for me emotionally that, you know, before opening up, it was all about, well, this is, this is what life looks like. Uh, monogamy and uh, headed down this path, you know, buying a house, all the things. Mm -hmm. And once, once that's broken, however it breaks, uh, opening up, I consider breaking monogamy. However it breaks, you're far more likely to look at other things. That's the slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> but the slippery slope is awesome. Because that's where you discover. And if you're willing to explore, you also need to be willing to say, that was not for me, but it's okay that I tried it. Yeah. You know, and I tell that uh, to a lot. I'm a big uh, bi male evangelist. I'm not trying to get men to be bi. I'm trying to get men who are curious to acknowledge their curiosity mm -hmm. because that's important. Yeah. You know, it, that is part of your identity is your curiosity. And the best part about trying something is if you don't like it, you never have to do it again. Yeah. And I don't understand what it is. I mean, I, I do understand. But at the same time, I, I'm so far past the idea of, well, I didn't like sucking that cock, but I did it, so I guess I'm gay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you, if you suck someone's cock and you don't like it, you're, you might not be gay. Or you might be gay and just not like it. But really, until you identify as gay, you're not fucking gay. Right. You know, that's the fluidity of all of this is so important. And it's where we can experience real, true human growth is by not being so rigid in our lives. And that's, that's a valuable lesson, and I would never have learned it without non-monogamy. And so that, I consider it the single greatest decision I ever made in my life was opening up. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for stopping by. Oh, my, would, my pleasure. Would you, would, would you like to plug where people may find you legally on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can you can listen to my podcast at Life on the Swing Set, as well uh, lifeontheswingset.com, as well as several other sex positive podcasts at swingset.fm, which is our Swing Set network, and um, you can find pretty much everything uh, of me at Cooper S Beckett. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm very political on Twitter. I've been trying to rein it in <laughs> uh, on other people's podcasts. Because nobody should deal with fallout because I have a loud mouth. Um, you can buy my books at cooperspeckett.com. And I really, really appreciate it if you do 
buy them there because I'm an independent publisher. Mm -hmm. And so I make the most if you buy it directly from me. I have paperbacks, ebooks, and audiobooks. That said, I would never dissuade someone from buying my book anywhere else because it's still awesome that you're buying my book. So if you're an Audible person, buy it on Audible. If you've been considering becoming an Audible person, go to audible.approachingtheswingularity.com and get it as your first book. Oh. Hey. See, we can all be happy with all of the various ways you can listen. <laughs> but yeah, that, I, I'm, I'm everywhere at Cooper S. Beckett. That was the amazing Cooper S. Beckett. Thank you once again for dropping by the podcast. If this is your first time listening to the Red Light Library, maybe you are one of Cooper's fans who drifted in on the wind. We are a uh, erotica review podcast with only one rule. We review stuff that's up for sale because once you start charging for it, you're asking for it. Now, uh, housekeeping here. We are at Red Light Library on Twitter. We are... uh, patreon.com forward slash red light library you can't search us because we're an adult account and want the children to see but you can check out the show find out about our behind the scenes stuff and whatnot and uh red light library.libsyn.com thank you so much for listening see you guys next time <laughs>